Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Everybody likes to make money. The accumulation of wealth is so ingrained into our American way of life that wealth is synonymous with success, and for good reason. In our society, the more money you have, the better access you have to pretty much everything from healthcare to art. For some people, there are pathways to making huge amounts of money, but for most of us, there's not. For most of us, it doesn't matter how great we are at our job, there's a definite ceiling to the amount of money we can ever make. And that's why, given an opportunity, we're attracted to the chance of making tons of money. I use the word chance intentionally because I'm talking about gambling. In 2018, the Supreme Court decided a case that allowed states to legalize sports betting. In 2020, betting on live sports games was legalized in most Louisiana parishes, and in 2021, in-person sports betting was allowed here, meaning you could bet on sports games in a casino. And in 2022, the state allowed mobile sports betting. So, how do we like our sports betting here in Louisiana? Eh, apparently a lot. According to recent statistics, we're the eighth biggest sports bettors in the nation. And if you rank it on a per capita basis, we're the third biggest. Who's benefiting from all this sports betting? Well, you are, if you win, and the state is. They're gaining millions in tax revenue, and the casinos are probably doing okay too. To find out just how well Harris Casino in New Orleans is doing, we can turn to Dan Reel. Dan is the regional president southwest of Caesars Entertainment, who owns Harris New Orleans. Dan, welcome out to lunch. Thanks a lot, Peter. Very happy to be here. Legal real-time betting in the sports industry is fairly recent, but we've been placing real-time bets on just about every other industry in the U.S. since 1790. That's when the Philadelphia Stock Exchange was founded, and that was followed two years later in 1792 by the founding of the New York Stock Exchange. For a very long time, stocks were traded by a select group of Americans who could afford a broker to navigate the complex process of buying and selling on these exchanges. Then along came the internet. Online trading democratized the investment process. Apps like E-Trade let anyone with a few discretionary dollars and a cell phone put money in the stock market. Consequently, the current generation of investors is way more representative of the general population. One positive effect of this generational shift has been a move towards what is known as ESG investing. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. ESG investors invest in companies that are environmentally and socially responsible and that encourage diversity in their own makeup. Locally, Suzanne Medier, managing principal at Majority Women-Owned 30 North Investments, is very familiar with ESG investing. She describes it as bringing together money and meaning. Suzanne, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, Peter. Happy to be here. Now, Dan, as I mentioned, when sports gambling was rolled out here, Louisiana residents became, per capita, the third highest spending gamblers in the country. 
However, when it comes to per capita income, Louisiana isn't third in the nation, according to most recent statistics that came from the Federal Bureau of Economic Analysis, we're 40th. On the one hand, it doesn't seem unreasonable that people who make the least amount of money would be most desperate to change that. But on the other hand, from the casino's point of view, you have to wonder if this is a sustainable business model. Uh, how long can one of the lowest income states in the nation continue to be some of the biggest gamblers? Are enough of them winning to make sports gambling a good investment strategy? Ironically, yes. Uh, a lot of people think that you can't win gambling, and many times that's the case. Obviously, we have beautiful buildings and a lot of uh, nice things that we add to. If the house the, didn't usually win, there wouldn't be a house, right? That's, <laughs> that, a... that's right. So the odds are in our favor. However, with sports betting, they're really cut to a minimum. It's, it's much different than playing on the dice table or a slot machine. And when you mention the per capita income of the customer or of the people living in Louisiana, and they are playing at a higher rate per capita from uh, compared to other states, the reality is we make 80% of our revenue off of about 20% of our customers. And those are the wealthy customers who are coming in where it truly is them wanting to spend time to have a great time, try to win some money. If not, just have a blast, have a few drinks, and they're able to relax. So we have a very uh, rigorous, responsible gaming model, and we follow that very closely to make sure that we're doing the best we can to be sure that those who are playing should be the ones playing. And Suzanne, ESG investing can be seen as a reaction to giant companies who, for a long time, chased profit at all cost. In the case of some industries, for example, oil, coal, tobacco, agribusiness, the cost has been significant. Today's investors who demand environmental and social responsibility seem to have proven that punishing a company's share price to encourage them to be decent corporate citizens actually works. But now we're starting to hear criticism that the pendulum has swung too far in the ESG direction. Some previously supportive business insiders are suggesting that there is now, quote, unquote, too much wokeness. As someone with a majority woman-owned investment company who has not been afraid to advocate ethical investing, do you think there's any merit to this call for a correction? Or do you think this is an indicator that businesses who thought they could weather the passing ESG fad by issuing a press release and hiring a woman are starting to realize they're going to have to deal with this for the long term? You know, Peter, I think wokeness is a label that really moves ESG into a divisive political conversation. And so let me just tell you how I feel about it. ESG is such a broad concept, and it's evolving. Um, but what I see are business leaders who are uh, incorporating ESG concepts into their business practices to the extent that they haven't already been using them. And I see a, a large amount of... Um, inflows and investors who are sincerely interested in these topics. If I were to tell you kind of how I started thinking of this, it really started much earlier than, uh, than I even realized. But I grew up in a family with a, with a company that was a manufacturing company in a small town in southwest Louisiana. Um, that company was not only incredibly important to us, but it was important to the community. And we were a major employer in town, and it was just the purpose of that company went far beyond just the profits to the shareholders. And I believe that the expansion of the thought process to more stakeholder capitalism, because I am a fierce capitalist. I lived in it. I saw entrepreneurship. Um, but as you expand that to stakeholder capitalism, that's really fundamentally 
kind of the genesis or the thought process that blends into ESG. And so um, I strongly believe that it's here to stay because I think there's a there's a, a purpose for it. I think that people want it. And I think when it breaks down into the actual items covered within ESG, that, um, that it's a very compelling way to invest. And Dan, with sports betting, who makes the odds? We have a central location in Las Vegas. It's a in risk an hub. Underground mine or something. No, no. no they, you know, they, sometimes I think that they should be running our whole economy. They're so <laughs> good at what they do. But there is a risk hub that we have in Las Vegas, and they're the ones who decipher what the numbers should be. Sometimes we partner with others to determine what the number is and what we're going to come out with first. And then from that point, when the number comes out, the money decides which way it goes, not our risk department. So if money comes in on one team more than the other, you'll see the odds move. So it's moving based on customer dollars. So it isn't, um, are you the winner and the, the, the better is the loser, or do you make money on the, uh, the revenue, the amount being um, bet. Yeah, we don't make money on the handle. Okay. Uh, we make money on the revenue, and so does the state. So for retail casino, if you were to walk in and place $20 on the New Orleans Saints at Harrah's New Orleans, if you were to lose that $20, 10% of that would go to the state. If you were to lose that $20 on our app, Caesars.com, 15% of that would go to the state. So there's a differentiation uh, in the tax rates between mobile and retail betting. That was a good example. Every time I go to Las Vegas, I go out there quite a bit to give speeches, and uh, I have a neighbor across the street that knows I'm going and always hands me a $20 bill to bet on the Saints. So there you go. Apparently that was a very good... Very I, you good know what? I think this year, if he does that, he might have a chance at his money. I think so. I really, I really do. Suzanne, I always view the beginning of ESG as sort of in 2018 when the conference board uh, voted, all those CEOs of the big companies, that uh, companies should act in the interest of stakeholders versus just shareholders. So that included the community, suppliers, customers, uh, employees. Is that kind of when the tables turned? You know, that was part of when the momentum started picking up. Believe it or not, ESG investing uh, really started more than 50 years ago. Uh, PAX was the fund company that first put out. It was, at that time, it was more focused on socially responsible, which was an exclusionary way. So if you didn't want to invest in certain industries, you could invest by excluding those companies or those industries. But over the years, it's really changed its focus. And, and yes, uh, it's more than a coincidence that the adoption of stakeholder capitalism by the Business Roundtable and uh, those statements by the biggest, the, the largest companies, the CEOs of the largest companies, was certainly impactful in, in terms of how people felt about uh, what their responsibilities were. And, and you, know, you know, Peter, it's, it's fascinating to me because um, what's happened now is that these companies are issuing their corporate responsibility reports, and I think people are surprised. In many ways, no one had a clue how much positive work was actually going on. And I think people really have been making some progress. And of course, with everything that's going well, if you will, there's a lot of improvement that's still ahead of us. And that's really how ESG is constructed. Now the flip side of that is a lot of companies are accused of greenwashing. Kind yes. Of yes, looking, you got yes. the CFO planting a garden or something. And you know, yes. that's about it. So. Yes, and, and that's, when I say it's evolving, there's a lot to be criticized, if you will. You have to be patient as this comes together, but 
regulatory requirements and making sure that people are, are marketing things that are actually occurring in the underlying investments. All of those things need to be, shall we say, tidied up before it has the credibility that it really needs to have going forward. But it's, it's very important and there's a lot of money in it. And I'd like to add that we actually are doing the same thing. You mentioned uh, other shares, yeah. and uh, whether they're fluctuating based on whether you do this or you don't do this. I can tell you Caesars is committed to this regardless of what movement there will be in the share price. We have a gender-based goal set for 2025. We also have a diversity, equity, and inclusion group that is working really uh, to make everything come out to be the way it should be for all of our companies that I believe that we oversee. And then finally, we also have a green team and we have um, just many different uh, subgroups at our, each property that oversees some ESG efforts, just like Suzanne was mentioning. Well, you know, Dan, when I look at it, sports betting has got to be the biggest new growth driver for, for what you're doing, but um, the actual companies themselves, the ones that only do sports betting, have been losing money, because yes. I guess they're spending so much money on those ads. Um, what is it, it's kind of like, somebody said a wild number, like it takes 100 to $150 to create a customer. Uh, so the, must be this must be a long-term game, not a short-term game. Yeah, I do think you're gonna see either consolidation soon or some winners come out of this, because the model is not sustainable. There is a lot of money being spent right now on acquisition. That's where most of the money is coming in right now, and it does cost way too much to acquire a customer. However, most of the big companies that are invested in this, they are in it for the long term, and we are gonna right size that model. It's not, it, this isn't something that we plan on doing long term. So you've seen our commercials on TV. Uh, we are planning a few more sets of commercials to roll out for this football season, but there's a big difference in what we're investing back into this business. We will be in sports betting for the long haul. We believe we're gonna be a big player in it for the long haul, but we will definitely have a different business model as we move forward. You have the Manning family. Yes. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, Great commercials, yeah. by the they really They're are. Thank you. Great. Yeah, we're excited. Like I said, the new ones we're literally filming tomorrow at the Caesars Superdome, and I think they're going to be a lot of fun. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Dan Reel, regional president of Caesars Entertainment, which owns Harris Casino here in New Orleans, and Suzanne Medier from 30 North Investments. Suzanne, it's an individual thing. Some people are against one industry, some aren't. Uh, I remember when I was Back in Boston 45 years ago, I managed money for a church, a Catholic church, and I, I put together a portfolio, and this is true, and I took out tobacco and, um, and alcohol, and they, I showed it to them, and they were very upset because uh, they said, well, we drink and we smoke, but, <laughs> but, but the priest said, um, but you have pharmaceutical companies in here that make birth control pills, so it's... It is so... It's a difficult game here. Yes, it is a difficult game, and... You know, our culture right now is very much into individual ability to select and choose what each of us wants. And uh, this is one of those fields where you, you might or would like to be able to pick and choose where your values align with how you want to invest your money. So the good point on that is that uh, most recently, direct indexing has come into play. So let me give you an example of that. It's a very customized approach to doing ESG investing. You can do other types of investing using it, but let's talk about ESG. So if I want to take the S&P 500 index and um, I go to, well, 
their providers for this. And I say, I want to invest in the S&P 500 index, but either I don't want these industries or I want to exclude these companies, and I want you to customize that index for me. And, that's doable. and then that is doable, and believe it or not, at this point, it's fairly affordable as well. It used to be that only the really big institutions could accommodate that, but now they brought it down to where a retail investor can invest using direct indexing. And so, you know, people can literally get involved in this, and if all you care about is uh, gun control or, or the manufacture of guns, you can address just that issue. If you have five topics you really care about, you address those five. And you can do it company by company or you can do it uh, sector or industry by industry. So that is uh, a fairly recent occurrence. It's rolling out and uh, it's very That's exciting. Be a big hit. It's yeah. very exciting. Yeah. Dan, I've always wanted to pitch this to somebody at Caesars. I, my idea is you take the roof of the dome and you paint roulette colors in it and then have a ball that just continually rolls around. It, you know, we did, we actually did think of that. Really? Uh, really? I don't think we what, were allowed were to we go the that same far. Bar? No, you, yeah, it might have been, <laughs> you might have started that and it finally made it to me because it wasn't my idea, but I had been pitched that idea. And then the other one that's very popular is they want us because they think we have control over this, which we do not to turn the Smoothie King Center into Little Caesars. So that oh, way we oh, have oh. Caesars Superdome and the Little Caesars Which Arena right next door. Which sponsored by the pizza company? That's right. Oh so, my gosh. So that was uh, another one that came forward with the idea of a roulette wheel. <laughs> <laughs> there must be something other than winning money uh, for sports betting that turns people on. I just think of, I have a friend whose son is at Tulane, and he made his son do a little budget to figure out how much money he needed each month. And he actually had a, <laughs> actually had a line for sports betting losses. Sure. And um, so I'm thinking if he thought that, then what else is there other than the money? It's the engagement in the game. You're, you feel like you have some skin in the game. You hear the roar of the crowd, and you're a part of that. Um, you feel as though you know the players if you constantly watch a game and you feel like you know who might win and by how many points they might win. So it just adds a little bit of excitement. It's really not about the money, I believe, at the end of the day. It really is about the energy and the excitement because similar to what you said, most of our players are budget-type players. They know what they can spend, whether it's to go see the new Top Gun movie or to come in and, and play a, make a bet on the NHL finals. Um, it's really about entertainment dollars, and I do think it comes down to you just really feeling like you're a part of what's going on on the TV in front of you. Certainly have uh, some skin in the game now. Absolutely. Uh, the, yeah. Absolutely. You know, Suzanne, there's another angle to this, and you're very familiar with it, and that is from the company side. Yes. Um, like, for instance, uh, you're on the board of Sanderson Farms, which is a great company. We've followed that company forever. Um, what kind of things, and I was on the board of a public company, what are the kind of decisions you need to make to address ESG? There's a, there's, there's a company that sort of um, determines if you're in line, uh, at, at, uh, an outside company. What, what, what have you had to deal with? Well, I, I really don't want to speak specifically about any one board, but as you know, I, I've served on and currently are serving on a number of boards, and I would tell you every one of them has an ESG focus at some level, so it doesn't. It's not just the publicly traded boards who focus on it. Um, but I will say that um, the well-intended companies, and I think they are well-intended, generally set up um, 
a task force or a group of people who are going to be responsible and kind of vet the whole thing. There are sta like the sustainable, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm yes, drawing the name of it, but there's a standards board that lays out a number of different uh, areas that should be measured. And so you go through and you figure out, okay, what, what is applicable to our organization uh, and what may not be? And then you, you try to measure what your, current, um, what your current practice is, how they roll out, and what your goals are for improvement in those areas. And um, it's it's quite an undertaking. And one of the criticisms of all of this is that it is an undertaking. But the fact of the matter is, when you see progress and movement on it that is very intentional in areas that people really care about, and you believe, if you believe that it adds to the sustainability of the long term of that company, forget what the short term profit is, for the moment, if you will, and just think about long-term sustainability. It's an effort that I believe is viewed as very worthwhile in the long term. And one of the areas, I just have to mention this, one of the, the G is for governance. And that is one that really focuses on what are best practices for governance oversight. This is ESG or not, this is like basic, basic um, uh, characteristics that any company should have and so I just I think it's a win-win but anyway. Didn't um, NASDAQ implement something where something uh, to do with the, the, the diversity in the board? Yes, yes um, and there have been a variety of, um, of initiatives the state of California had a requirement in a recent and that they put out there years ago about uh, about women, how many women you'd have to have on the board, and they gave it a transition time. And now there's a ruling that says they can't do that. So, you know, but the fact of the matter is, it's kind of happening naturally. The thing that I look to in, in terms of diversity and who's on a board, what, what really comes home to me is think about your customer base. Think about who you are really serving. And if you have a board which is like-minded, functionally similar, are certainly, if you're not covering both genders and some diversity there, are you really bringing to the boardroom the thought process for decision-making that you should have? To me, it's kind of common sense. I think you'll find most boards have, have kind of changed that, and the numbers have dramatically changed over the past yeah, five I years. Can, I can let you know, Suzanne, that we have a board one of the things that I'm blessed with is the opportunity every quarter to get to present to our board of directors. And I can tell you they are very diverse, not just in d demographics, but in thought. And they really bring a different view to the table. And that is something that I really value every quarter. I get a chance to speak with them and them with us. And as you mentioned, there was a quota that was put out there that companies needed to follow. However, I think the, the great companies of the world realize how important diversity is and inclusion is to not only your boards but to your teams all the way down to the front and it really makes you better and I can tell you I'm really blessed to have one of the most diverse teams that there is in the casino business right here at Harris New Orleans and I think Suzanne touched on it as well who is your customer and I can tell you that our customer matches up really well with the diversity of our team. So Dan, when I heard that we would be in this um, conversation together, I was very anxious to see how Peter was going to tie together sports betting with ESG investing, and he's done a masterful job. Right. But, but my question to you is, when I think of sports betting, I think of it as an entertainment function. But you believe that at some point it actually becomes an investing practice for some people, and I'm interested in hearing more about when it converts to investing. 
Absolutely. I think that's a great question. A lot of people um, play for entertainment. That's the main group that I would say. I would guess, I'll throw out a number, about 90 to 95% of our players are there for entertainment to have some fun with their money and to have a good time. There are a handful of people, maybe 5 to 10% out there, that do consider this an opportunity to invest. They're very sharp. We call them sharp betters. And they are very well aware of maybe an injury before the public finds out. Or they know something's wrong in the personal life of the quarterback or whatever it may be. Uh, those are people that are in it for the long haul that might consider it investing. And we, we also follow their action because they're very sharp. They're very smart. But I would say 90% of the players are there to have a good time. They're our neighbors, our wives, our cousins, you know, everybody that just wants to have some fun. And as we talked about earlier, just have a little skin in the game. Dan, one thing I was very interested in was, I guess, in the last six months or so, is that I learned that you can only bet physically we're in a state where there's gambling. So you could be a resident of another state and come over. And the reason I found out about that is probably what a lot of people has, that that kind of crazy furniture guy. Mattress Mac. Yes, right. Yes. And what did he do to the... Came over like the state line in Vinton, and uh... he, he does. He, you know, he, he mattress Mac. He has an unbelievable. Normal, we don't talk about our players, right, but right. he he put this out there, so I feel okay to talk about it a little bit. But mattress Mac is an unbelievable entrepreneur out of Houston, and he has amazing furniture stores. And what he does is he makes an offer where, for example, in the Final Four, it was here in New Orleans. He had a deal that if you went to his store and spent over three thousand dollars and you bought the furniture that once the Final Four was determined, if you had Kansas, or if Kansas won, I should say, all of your furniture was free. So the customers, <laughs> so the customers went in droves and were buying millions of dollars worth of furniture. And what Mac does is he crossed state line, he went to a rest stop, he got onto the Caesars.com app, and he placed his bet on Kansas to cover those uh, purchases that were back in um, Houston. He has also done it this year with the Houston Astros. So if you're looking for furniture, I'm not going <laughs> to really help Mac out. He doesn't need my help. But uh, his gallery furniture store, if you buy over $3,000 worth of furniture and the Astros win the World Series, you get it all for free. With somebody like Suzanne and I that do finance, we immediately see that as his hedge, right? This is his insurance contract. Absolutely. That is absolutely a hedge. But he's a, he's a great entrepreneur, but a great gambler. And what I like the most of all is he's also a great philanthropist. He spends a lot of money on a lot of great causes. So, Suzanne, I am a wannabe investor. So I hold tight to my Caesar stock and I watch it and I am proud of it. I've been with the company for 26 years. But I can't believe that we've been a podcast about investing and I have not heard a word about crypto in this conversation. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's what your group does as a focus on, on ESG, but what does crypto, how does crypto come to play in your world? Well, at the moment, um, we're trying to decide that. We don't, uh, we're not investing in crypto for our clients just yet. And I think that that's a fairly common position right now. But I do believe that individuals and, and some others are, are actually finding it a very exciting spot. It is highly volatile, yes. so you have to have the stomach for it. Uh, crypto is another thing that I think will be here to last in some form. Uh, and I think there's a lot more to come. Uh, things will shake out in the long-lasting crypto um, types, if you will, of investing will, will be there. 
Uh, but no, it's a little premature for us. Okay. We don't feel like we need to be the first out of the gates with this until we s understand it and see it operate a little longer. From the outside, a lot of things look easy until you come to have to do them yourself. Then, when you actually have to write a resume, ride a surfboard, or host a podcast, or any of the thousand things that look easy, you find there's more to it than you thought. Investing in the stock market is the opposite. From the outside, it looks complex, even inexplicable, but once you become an investor, you realize it's actually pretty straightforward. Of course, the action of putting money in the market and making a profit is the same action as putting money in the market and making a loss. Suzanne, thanks to the demands for transparency that have come with the advent of ESG investing, there are now other forces than a company's profit and loss statements that move markets. And Dan, although there are various schools of thought on the wisdom of gambling, it's not a totally dissimilar process to investing. You do as much research as you can, weigh the odds, decide how much you can afford to lose if things go the wrong way, and you put your money down. Suzanne and Dan, it's been a real pleasure spending the lunch hour with you, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today and out to lunch. It's been delightful. Thank you, Peter. It's been a great day. Thank you for the pizza and the beer. <laughs> <laughs> My guests and out to lunch today have been Suzanne Metier, Managing Principal of 30 North Investments, and Dan Reel, Regional President Southwest at Caesars Entertainment. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Dan's bets and Suzanne's stocks by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, it's neworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. Today's show was engineered by Blake Longlinay. I'm Peter Rusciutti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. And by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.